Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Carfasi. Today, we're talking with Dr. Rob Silverman about autoimmunity and inflammation. Here's a clip from today's show. There are five main causes of autoimmune disease in my mind. Number one, toxins. You get external and internal toxins. Allergens, food sensitivities. Food sensitivities to me are a hidden, silent trigger because it takes 72 hours to know if you have a food sensitivity from the time to ingestion up to time of symptomology. Microbes and microbiome. Oh my goodness. If we want to talk about the gut, we're here for weeks. The gut is the epicenter of your health. Our diet, our American diet, our poor American diet, or as like we would like to refer to as sad. The average American consumes 160 pounds of sugar per year and 146 pounds of wheat per year. That's almost a pound of junk. 60% of our calories come from ultra-processed foods. After saying that, the fifth one comes to mind, stress, psychological and physical, actual physical stress, especially to the barriers like the microbiome. That's just a small taste of the great show we've got coming up. Rupa Health is the best way to order, track, and get results from 20-plus lab companies in a single place. Dr. Rob Silverman is a doctor of chiropractic, sports injury specialist, and renowned speaker. He is on the science and advisory board for KBMO Diagnostics Laboratory Company and an expert in food sensitivity testing. Dr. Silverman is an Amazon best-selling author of his book, Inside Out Health, a revolutionary approach to your body. If you're a practitioner, you can order KBMO's fit or food inflammation tests on rupahealth.com. The fit tests allow you to not only look at food sensitivities, but also inflammation and gut permeability. Dr. Rob, it's such a pleasure to have you on the Root Cause Medicine podcast. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about a whole bunch of things, and I'm really appreciative to Rupa Health for allowing me to spend some time. Rupa Health rocks without question. Love it. Couldn't agree more. So let's dive in right here today, and I want to start off by talking about a piece of literature that I was reading recently that came from the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, which is a subsection of the NIH. And this was in 2021. And they estimated that about 23 and a half million people in the United States currently are dealing with autoimmune conditions. And what's even crazier to think about is that there's said to be over 80 different types of these autoimmune conditions. And so before we get into the weeds a little bit today, Dr. Rob, first, I want everybody to know, can you walk us through what is an autoimmune condition? Can you explain really from the foundational perspective, what is it? Absolutely. And without question, one of the biggest things that we try and treat and one of my biggest suggestions for new practitioners and patients is to try and ascertain your autoimmune status. The true definition of the word, and I know we're going to go into more detail in the next 40 minutes or so, the immune system makes a mistake and attacks the body's own tissues or organs. It's actually attacked from inside. The immune system is interesting because there's two buttons at its essence, self and foreign. And the body thinks that self, parts of your body are now foreign and you attack it. Some really interesting examples of autoimmune disease, people would have heard this before, would be rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, IBD, irritable bowel disorder, multiple sclerosis, type one diabetes, psoriasis, any kind of thyroid problem, Graves or Hashimoto's. 
But let me give you some insight. I mean, we're both chiropractors and we know that all docs deal with musculoskeletal injuries. Osteoarthritis is autoimmune. And when I lectured other docs, they stop and go, wait a minute, I thought there's a wear and tear component. It's true. It's the body's inability to deal with inflammation and you begin to attack yourself. So let me give an example, a disc injury. So we've got a nucleus that goes outside the annulus. Does that immune system find that self or foreign? Well, the insight is it's foreign and begins to attack. So osteoarthritis is also, just like rheumatoid arthritis, just a different area, a form of autoimmune disease. You can make a case for Alzheimer's, concussion. Here's another one, a real, what I used to call a junkyard dog diagnosis, fibromyalgia. Many of the symptoms in fibromyalgia are caused by antibodies because they attack the dorsal root ganglion. Those are your pain-sensitive nerves throughout the body. So let's break it down. There are five main causes of autoimmune disease in my mind. Number one, toxins. You get external and internal toxins. Allergens, food sensitivities. And I'd like at some point to go into a little bit more detail because food sensitivities to me are a hidden, silent trigger because it takes 72 hours to know if you have a food sensitivity from the time to ingestion up to time of symptomology. Microbes and microbiome. Oh my goodness. If we want to talk about the gut, we're here for weeks. The gut is the epicenter of your health. Our diet, our American diet, our poor American dieters, like we would like to refer to as sad, standard American diet. The average American consumes 160 pounds of sugar per year and 146 pounds of wheat per year. That's almost a pound of junk. 60% of our calories come from ultra processed foods. After saying that, the fifth one comes to mind, stress, psychological and physical, actual physical stress, especially to the barriers like the microbiome. Love it. What a great consensus here on what that is. What is an autoimmune condition? Thank you for really breaking that down. The major components of why these things occur, Dr. Rob. Now, you talked about some things that we're going to get into here later today, which are really, really important. I like to help different parts of the immune system, these triggers, all of these things are so important for people to understand. I think the scariest part of autoimmunity that people start to realize as they begin to develop symptoms is as they start to develop symptoms, they really wouldn't associate some of these symptoms with full-blown disease process such as autoimmunity. People develop things like fatigue, weakness, maybe chronic joint pain. As you said, OA osteoarthritis, they wouldn't really associate it normally, but there is that immune system issue going on. Things like weight gain, maybe the inability to lose weight or too much weight gain, right? Brain fog, depression, libido issues, you name it. I think so many people are dealing with these things. They don't relate it. So the list goes on and on, right? And they'll go to their doctor and it's more of a one-off diagnosis and they're not putting those pieces together. So why do you think that these symptoms are bringing these people to the practitioner in the first place? And how does this process really begin from that standpoint? What do you think about all that? First of all, a great list of symptoms. It sounded like my practice and all our colleagues' practice all in one fell swoop. Number two, let's talk about symptoms, systems, and root cause resolutions. The biggest thing that you and I always talk about and the practitioners who are going to utilize these type of tests is that we're going to look for a symptom to indicate which system it is. And then we're going to delve into the system to get to what we call root cause resolution. Why? I had a patient come in today and she said, I have a digestion problem. Well, I could give her stomach acid. 
that would help, especially since she said, guess what? It occurs when I eat protein, bing, bing, bing. But the question is why? So the symptoms start the process of getting into why. So let's look at some intestinal symptoms. As an example, abdominal pain, you said a few of these, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, flatulence. Then you got this extra intestinal symptoms, anxiety, joint pain, arthritis, unsteady gait, depression, fatigue, headache, myalgia, peripheral neuropathy, because the body is all interconnected and the symptom will show you what system's going on. And the problem is, Really, not enough people want to link the chains of symptoms to systems to get to root cause resolution. And one of the best ways to get there would be to take a test, different kinds of functional medicine blood tests. Therefore, you're testing and not guessing. Yes, I agree. Good synopsis on that entire piece. So important to understand those root cause perspectives and bring it down to really what's going on at the bottom line. So Dr. Rob, you mentioned a little bit about inflammation, and I think this is such a complex topic. There's so much, you know, so we could talk about weeks for some of these things, but this really goes hand in hand with the autoimmune disease process. So can you break down what is normally viewed as this inflammation from that traditional or conventional approach, meaning say the five cardinal signs that were way back in, I think, Rome when they were first written on the walls. And then what is more commonly seen in these autoimmune disease process, which is more of that silent or that systemic inflammation? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'll say the five cardinal signs in English, but if you ask me to say it in Latin, it's on you. So number one, redness, swelling, heat, pain, loss of function. Those are the five cardinal signs of inflammation. Signs of autoimmunity, slightly different, fatigue, achy muscles, swelling, low-grade fever, hair loss, skin rashes, numbness and tingling. So they're more disto, if you will. One thing about the concept of silent autoimmunity or silent inflammation, I believe that silent inflammation is the leading cause for chronic disease. My mantra is to manage and modulate inflammation. And as just a hierarchy, if you will, I think that that statement needs an addendum in that it may be the imbalance of the immune system that leads to inflammation. We're seeing that through this pandemic endemic. And that may be our biggest problems. That said, the stages of autoimmunity are threefold. Number one, there's silent autoimmunity, kind of like what we're talking about. Elevated antibodies, but no symptoms or loss of function. Two, there is an autoimmune stage two reactivity, elevated antibodies with symptoms and loss of function, but no destruction to tissue or disease that's determinable. Lastly, we have stage three, autoimmune disease, elevated antibodies, symptom labs, the whole bit, significant loss of function. So when you break it down, you've got those three functions. And let's like put it all together in one large scope. Pathogens, they release associated antigens. They actually cause breakdown of barriers. They call it activation of your immune system. Pro-inflammatory cytokines and antibody production come out. You have inflammation first, localized, systemic, then ultimately autoimmune reactivity. So that is the cascade. You know, a fire starts silently till the fire alarm goes off. The problem with the fire alarm in health in America is everybody either wants to put it on snooze or take the battery out. I love that analogy, Dr. Rob. And yes, it's been a few years. I think I know one of the five cardinal signs in Latin. So I'm going to defer that challenge back to you some other day. So we talked about Some really good points so far on inflammation, the autoimmune process, really understanding this from a framework. 
Now, there's said to be this triad of autoimmunity or kind of that three-legged stool you could call. And this is often called leaky gut syndrome as one of the legs. A triggers as another one of the legs, which is a big piece such as food sensitivities, as you've mentioned, things like environmental allergens, you name it. And then you have the other three leg, which would be genetics. So can you walk us through this three-legged stool and how these three things are all related? Yeah, those three legs on a stool really pose an issue. Genetics, and obviously you test for genetics, and it's great. You test for genetics to start to see where you are. But the takeaway on genetics or genes is that they load the gun of health, but they don't fire the gun of health. It's the environment and everything around it that poses the issue. So I'm a big proponent on removing triggers and repairing barriers. So those triggers damage, let's say, the gut lining, like you said, leaky gut, and then you would want to repair that barrier. So certain things that would damage that gut, and there's a plethora of different things that could aggravate the gut, peptides, toxic chemicals, infections. So you want to detect, therefore remove the triggers once again and repair the barriers. That is because a defective epithelial barrier like the gut is linked to a myriad of chronic conditions. So much so that you'll see a higher uptick in allergic reactions. My favorite, again, food sensitivity, IBD, celiac disease, and specific changes in the microbiome because of leaky gut to autoimmune. We talked about that before, metabolic and degenerative diseases in the body. So again, the gut is the epicenter of your health. Without a healthy gut, you don't have a healthy body. So a lot of people say, what would trigger gut permeability? Like I said, a large cornucopia of bad things. Antibiotics, acid blocking drugs. Let's make a point. Most people think or are told that they have too high acid and they take a PPI. Wrong answer, wrong choice. NSAIDs, non-steroid anti-inflammatories, leave, ibuprofen, Advil. It does decrease pain, but impairs healing. Whereas our options for nutraceuticals decrease pain, but promote healing. Environmental toxins, concussion, whatever you do to your brain, you do to your gut. Cesarean births, Gut dysbiosis. We'll talk probably about that a little bit later. You know, the unsettling or the unbalancing of good and bad bacteria. Once again, food sensitivities, chronic inflammation, alcohol, two of the biggest culprits, gluten and dairy, sugar, artificial sweeteners, and any kind of food additive or emulsifier. So I've, in my mind, I make this thing called the Dr. Rob's gut matrix. So the gut is your bullseye. But I've used the term gut, and people probably say, what does he mean by the gut? Well, I mean the small and large intestine. The small intestine is actually a misnomer because it's 20 to 52 feet in length, depending on the individual person. So it's not small. It's truly long. It's small in diameter, and it's also a single-layer epithelial cell that, when you unravel it, has a surface area of a tennis to a basketball court, but have this thickness of a wet paper towel. Its sole purpose is threefold to allow small digested food particles to get through. It also allows water and vitamins and minerals to get through. Those are the three things. So any kind of damage to the semipermeable membrane poses an issue. And then you have the large intestine, which isn't really large. It's just a triple layer epithelial cell. But one broad overview, as I've said, the gut is the epicenter of your health. If you have a gut problem, 75% of your toxins go to your liver through the bloodstream and 25 through the portal vein. Leaky gut, problem with the liver. Leaky gut, higher incidence of insulin, prediabetes, body composition. Leaky gut, higher incidence of autoimmune, thyroid. I'm a chiropractor. You're a chiropractor. We have a musculoskeletal vantage point to everything. 
gut damage, cytokine release, MMPS, matrix metalloproteinase release. What happens? Musculoskeletal damage, fibrocartilage like disc. And last but not least, gut to brain and brain to gut. Whatever you do to your gut, you do to your brain. Whatever you do to your brain, you do to your gut. Virtually all neurodegenerative diseases have a gut compromise. Dr. Abba, was amazing. I <laughs> love the variety of different triggers and aspects that you just brought into play. Super, super important for everybody to understand. As you mentioned, even things like concussions, which people very often do not correlate. And there's research that shows athletes, even after post-concussion, immediately they have intestinal hyperpermeability, right? Within 24 hours. So a lot of really good data that you just brought to the table and information about pulling together that triad of autoimmunity. So when it comes to the autoimmune processes, then I'm sure many people are wondering now, what testing can we do to find out these triggers, to find out possibly these foods, to find out if there's leaky guts? What can we do? What are the types of testing that can bring into play? Great question. Great follow-up question. And I'm just going to add one thing to the concussion because I'm big on it. 60% of people post-concussion have SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. There's a testing methodology for you. So again, the body's all interconnected. But to really speak to what you said about foods, food allergies, most people know. You should test for it. It's immediate. It's an IgE response. It's within an hour. Again, as I said earlier, food sensitivities are interesting in that they're increasing about 50% in the adult and the child population over the past few years. Tremendous amount of symptomology. 90% of the sensitivities are in eight food groups, milk, soy, eggs, wheat, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish. But again, the takeaway to reiterate, the problem that people don't realize they have a food sensitivity is very simple. 72 hours from the time to ingestion to the time to symptomology. How would I know? People don't even remember what they ate 72 hours ago, 72 minutes ago. But food sensitivities are specific because the ones that we like are ones that test for IgG and complement. However, what are the most common food that people are sensitive for? I gave you the eight, but add a few eight food groups. Almonds, bananas, beef, brewer's yeast, candida, casein, chicken, corn, cow's milk, egg white, whole wheat, white potatoes, egg yolks, gluten, peanut, pineapple, salmon, shrimp, soybean. So the bottom line is, it's unfortunate that people are sensitive to a lot of foods. But what does that mean? Well, food sensitivities to me means very simply that you probably have a leaky gut and you probably have a digestion problem. So again, cause and effect. And to piggyback a little further, that's a trigger of food sensitivity, a barrier. So things that I would want to test in a barrier would be without question, zonulin. Zonulin is a unique protein that is allowing the tight junctions in the gut to hold together. When zonulin is raised for a period of time, it implies a protein structure has damaged at a tight junction and you now have leaky gut. Zonulin is one of 40 different proteins. Some other things you may want to look for would be LPS, lipopolysaccharide. It is an endotoxin that actually is on the inside of the gut, but on the outside of the wall holding gram-negative bacteria. So when that goes through, it causes systemic chaos or inflammation. And you could also look at other things like actomycin. And clearly, when it comes to autoimmune disease, the two staple standard blood tests would be ANA and the SED rate. Amazing. Thank you for going over those really, really important markers. And as you just said, Dr. Rob, I think 
a lot of people, especially if they're suspecting an autoimmune condition or they go to their doctor and they get tested, their doctor might run those ANA and CEDRATE right off the bat, but possibly not run some of those other root cause testing options like the Zonulin, like the Actin, like the Myosin, et cetera, et cetera, to really get a better foundation of what might be going on internally. So glad you went over that. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'd be amiss if I didn't. Stool test. Great, great, great. We, I neglected to mention that stool test is a great component. So there's serum, there's going to be some cheek, there's going to be some stool. Functional medicine testing. There is no one test that's the standard bearer. It's pieces to a puzzle to have a clear 2020 vision. We don't want to be myopic. We want to see the whole field. And that's what the testing enables us to do. It enables us once again to get to that root cause resolution and be pinpoint sniper sharp on what we want to do and how we want to treat our patients. Couldn't agree more. And from that musculoskeletal standpoint, I agree. We always like to use the example of if you break your ankle or someone breaks their ankle, you're not going to take one view of that ankle because you might miss the entire picture and it might be on the opposite side. It might be in a separate part of the joint. There's all these different aspects that we need to approach it. So that multifactorial, multi-piece of the pie, I completely agree is the, the really uncovering the root issue. So Dr. Rob, you talked a little bit earlier on about these two parts of the immune system, which is really, really important. And I really want everybody to understand that with autoimmune processes, as you mentioned, there's that mistake that the immune system starts to make. It starts to attack its own tissue. But I want to break this down a little bit further because we have mistakes that our immune system makes that are of omission, and then we have mistakes of commission, right? So the omission mistakes might be something like your body is develops cancer, so it misses the cancer, right? We all have cancer cells. Everybody has cancer cells every day, but your body, through its genome, is able to, to protect you, right? And kill off cancer cells and, and come back to a state of health. And then you have these errors of commission. Maybe, again, the body starts attacking its own tissue as a mistake whether that's, again, through food sensitivities, environmental allergens. We can tie in different aspects of conditions like MS or Hashimoto's, any of these conditions where your body starts attacking itself. So can you dive a little bit deeper onto these two parts of the immune system and, and why the immune system acts this way? Absolutely. And the omission commission is a great example. I think you really set the table beautifully with that. And everybody assumes, well, we have an immune system. And we're proponents of an immune system, but the immune system has to work well. It has to recognize self and foreign. And what you essentially said in an overview is that it looks at something that it should attack, cancer cells, and doesn't. And then it looks at something that it shouldn't attack, like our joint space, like our thyroid, even in neuroautoimmunity, and it attacks it. And there are two key components, the innate and acquired immunity. The one thing that a lot of people forget, once again, is the barriers to prevent entry. So let's just emphasize that. Let me transition right into the innate and acquired. So those barriers, our number one thing would be skin and our mucous membranes, stomach acid, digestive enzymes, and of course, our microbiome. Because the first time the body sees something from the outside world, it's gone through our digestive tract, through our small intestine, into our bloodstream. When that happens, then we have these two interesting uh, forks in a road, if you will, these balance forks, these forks that should allow immune resilience, immune balance, and immune support, or an innate immune system. The reason that we call it innate is everybody's got one. It's a general defense. 
It's essentially macrophages, neutrophils, and they will, I call them the Marines. They clean house. They take everything. The real secret sauce and where everybody runs into trouble is that acquired immunity. Now that acquired immunity is interesting in that we have T and B cells. The T cells come from your thymus. The B cells come from your bone marrow. The T cells recognize and make memory, whereas the B cells make these antibodies, the IgA, the IgE, the IgG, and the IgM. One little note, and I guess we should talk about it because everybody talks about IgG testing. Why is IgG so important? Well, 75% of our antibodies are IgG. IgG crosses the placenta, and IgG has a tendency to block the docking on specific cells. So that's why we're testing IgG. The other thing where it could be deleterious, if antibodies or IgG stays too long, we have the possibility for autoimmunity. So antibodies are supposed to elevate and wane and go to memory cells. So in autoimmunity, you have two problems. You're not having the balance and they're staying too long. And the other problem is the signaling, or if you will, I know we want to talk about it and let's get in there, molecular mimicry. So molecular mimicry is fascinating in that foods like a gluten and a casein, every one of these foods has what we call a protein structure or a protein sequence. It's like a zip code and the body looks at it. But when the body's overwrought or our immune system isn't working well, or our B cells, our acquired immune system poses an issue because it isn't matured yet. It's in the extra follicular phase and not in, in, in the lymph node area, germinal cells to get very technical, if you will. It poses an issue. It reads the sequence wrong. So essentially, gluten and dairy have a protein sequence that's very similar to the cerebellum and very similar to joints. So the body at a certain point, because the immune system isn't functioning well, attacks things that are close, that have a similar protein sequence or a molecular mimicry. Now, the omission is the same thing in that people think something's bad that has a very similar sequence to something that the body has perceived as self and lets it go. So essentially, it needs glasses, your immune system. It needs balance between the two of them. And I have to tell you something I said before, and I won't expand on it, that my mantra is to manage and modulate inflammation. The father of functional medicine, Jeff Bland, was the one who said, Robert, take it a step deeper, get to that immune system. And if anything, how's everybody's immune system working now? We're all immune concerned. Love it, Dr. Rob. Great background there on the omission commission situation of our immune system and really bringing out that molecular mimicry idea and topic, which is so important to understand, which again, relates back a lot to those root causes and why people end up in their doctor's office in the first place. And they need to put the pieces together a little bit better on on what might be going on from that root cause perspective. So I'm really glad you brought that up. So important. So let's dive into some of the Another topic related to this, all many different subjects here, but all in one when it comes to autoimmune processes, inflammation, and this is called oral tolerance. So can you break down this idea of what oral tolerance is, which again is often very interconnected with inflammation and ultimately these autoimmune conditions? I got to tell you, oral tolerance is interesting. I happened to be on the phone with a couple of friends yesterday. and We were having a whole conversation. We think that this is one of the more overlooked 
poignant topics today in functional medicine. So the technical definition is oral tolerance is classically defined as the suppression of immune responses to antigens that have been administered previously by the oral route. So we're essentially talking what goes in your mouth. Now, let's go through the cascade. Environmental triggers cause a breakdown of oral tolerance, what goes in your mouth and goes through your system to your gut. You get that change in the gut microbiota, you get leaky gut or enhanced gut permeability or increased intestinal permeability. And now these large food macromolecules, undigested food particles, mostly proteins, slip through. Those proteins are now an antigen. The immune system reacts. It starts with a localized inflammatory response. It then goes to a systemic and it then goes to autoimmunity and ultimately neuroautoimmunity in the brain. And or the breakdown of oral tolerance is one of the biggest reasons why we have the start of the silent autoimmunity up through the stage one, two, and three. Amazing. Love how you brought that back to the stages of inflammation and autoimmunity. So important to understand. And taking this a step further, Dr. Rob, can you discuss how this oral tolerance can also be applied to bacteria in the gut and other bugs and how that approach is very similar to, again, foods in a sense? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, the oral tolerance, what things break it down in the gut. For me, one of the biggest things would be obviously the unleveling of good and bad bacteria, dysbiosis. But dysbiosis has taken a step in another direction. It's not just good and bad bacteria. It's how that bacteria communicates with the host. So if I take my bacteria and put it in you, it may not work. Because if that was the case, I want a bacterial uh, or a fecal transplant from Michael Jordan so I can play basketball better. So it's how it communicates in the gut. The other things that you're looking at is LPS, that endotoxin on gram-negative bacteria. So when the bacterium dies, LPS passes through the intestinal epithelial cell, enters the bloodstream, leads to multiple systemic disorders. You can test for LPS. You can test for something called cytolethal distending toxin that's released by E. coli. That guy, which we don't talk enough, and cytolethal distending toxin B is the bad guy. It should be the name of a villain in a new James Bond film. It's 11 times more inflammatory than LPS. Some other things typically that we talk about is streptococcus, clepsili. Once again, your dietary proteins, gluten, dairy, and of course, the controversial one, lectins. Gluten is a major problem. So for me, guys, everybody, here it is. GPS, no gluten, no processed food. It's actually no ultra-processed food, no sugar. Take care of your DNA, no dairy, no nicotine no artificial sweeteners. If you have a gluten problem or gluten-rated disorders, tell me if you have arthritis, infertility, Hashimoto, psoriasis, cardiovascular, osteoporosis, elevated liver, joint issues. When it comes to dairy, you've got all these type 1 diabetes, autism, celiac disease, Crohn's disease, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, and the like. Leaky gut. I know I'm taking you through a highway of conditions. When you have a problem and you have leaky gut, people always ask me, you're a chiropractor. How can you, and why do you want to test? Why do you want to look at bacteria in my gut and tell me that I have rheumatoid or osteoarthritis in a joint? Real simple. That bacteria enables that protein, as we talked about before, to sleep through the gut in such a way that your B and T cells attack it. Your B and T cells attack it. They get confused with self and begin to attack like your knee, your finger, or your spine. I think this data was for spondyloarthritis, arthritis in the spine, 50% of those people actually had 
and leaky gut and or IBD. So whatever you do to your gut, you do to your musculoskeletal system. So in essence and takeaway is the gut is a neighborhood. You want an ecosystem. You want more good guys than bad guys, and you want a biodiversity of the different organisms living in your gut. You're bringing some really good points together here, Dr. Rob. I really appreciate that. And I really want to break this down just a little bit even further than that. And as you're mentioning, bringing up some really good points on you can have these bacteria sitting in joints in different parts of the body, which is why, and we'll go into testing a little bit further here in just a minute, but those bugs you can test on a stool test. You can test in these types of testing where now you can actually identify, hey, this bug is commonly associated with rheumatoid arthritis and it's commonly found in joint spaces here and there or wherever in the body. Or this bug is commonly found in these types of organs or this type of space within the body. So I think it's really important you're bringing those points up. And while we're on this topic of inflammation and autoimmunity and you were bringing up lipopolysaccharides, this LPS, and and some of these other toxins that are produced by this bacteria as it relates to even oral tolerance, can we dive into just what's known as die-off or Jarsch-Herxheimer reactions? Because as people start to develop more and more and put more toxins in their body, whether that's coming from these bugs from the LPS or it's coming from elsewhere, it's kind of like a bucket and it continues to fill up and up and up. And over time, that bucket, now all those toxins are creating more inflammation and they're just not feeling well. And many people start to experience this, especially as they start to even implement treatment protocols or, but they can experience this at any given time. And that's all part of that, the autoimmune disease process. Absolutely. It's a great point. Here you have this gut again, and you're talking about bad bacteria and too much bad bacteria. And you brought up another good point, which I really want to address to start off about bacteria in the joints. So there's a new thought process. Do we add things that are, there was a study actually, I should say, that people who took antibiotics, and I'm not purporting yes or no to an antibiotic, actually had their lower back pain go away because there was a bacterial component to disc injuries. Now, speaking of antibiotics, we consume 80% of our antibiotics through our food. Antibiotics are going to clear out our gut. So that poses an issue. So some options to that garbage pail of a gut would be an alternative method. And the alternative method would be a, a way to restore the gut. So let me give you what I would say to fix the problem. I call it a Super 7R action plan. The first thing I would do is I would want to reset. So I want to reset the diet. No gluten, no dairy, no sugar, whole foods, individualizing. We can test. Some people do better on carbs. Some people do better on fats. Some people do better on high protein. There is no best diet. It's the individual diet for that person's position in life and their goals. Change their lifestyle. Health is wealth. I always ask my patients, have you put any money in your health savings account today? Did you exercise? Did you eat well? And mindset. People, oh my God, I don't know what to do. doesn't work. So diet, lifestyle, and mindset. Number two, you want to remove you want to remove the unwanted pathogens. And that's really where testing comes in. What did you want to remove? Well, that's why I like the food sensitivities. KBMO works really well. There's other things that you want to remove. You can remove toxins. Therefore, you can remove toxins via a liver detox. You can also remove toxins with oregano oil, garlic, serum bovine immunoglobin, berberine. Clear out all the unwanted guys. My dad said, if they're not paying rent, get rid of them. And that's your time to remove those unwanted pathogens. The third R would be replace needed digestive enzymes, pancreatic enzymes, 
stomach acid and create a more appropriate bioflow. Bioflow is a hidden gem because people who have a bile problem have a higher incidence of leaky gut, also have a higher incidence of SIBO. Regenerate your damaged intestinal and mucosa. That's where you want to use a full array of different nutrients, nutrients that enable the mucosal to heal, tight junctions like a zinc carnosine, and also things like flavonoids that create an anti-inflammatory environment in the gut. Fifth one would be obviously re-inoculate. You want to give them prebiotics, which are a fiber. And you want to match those prebiotics to the probiotics. You're able to do that by what they call symbiotics. Interestingly enough, that probiotic is the match to the probiotic. Pre to pro leads you to what we call a postbiotic, like a short chain fatty acid, like a butyrate. Then number six, reintroduce and or retest. So you start test because testing is your baseline. You go through all this whole program. Then you retest to show your patient yourself the accomplishments, where you've gone from baseline. And that's where you could reintroduce some of the foods that you took out. Because you know what? If you take all foods out that they test sensitive for and all foods out that they react to and you don't give them back, that patient will go through the door. So that's when you test and retest. And lastly, retain your health. Retain your gut health and your GI integrity, multivitamin, multimineral, fish oil, vitamin D, probiotics. And then you would consider testing more of a baseline standard CBC. That's amazing. I'm glad you brought all of that to the table. And, and for reference, you brought up a 7R protocol, which is mm-hmm. expansive and absolutely needed. And I love how you talked about bioflow, which is so important as it's relating to the gallbladder and that leaky gut as if that leaky gut is occurring in that small intestine and the pH is off and all of those things are not functioning properly, it's not going to stimulate that pancreas to produce your enzymes. It's not going to stimulate that gallbladder so that you can absorb everything in that with along with that small intestine and that sphincter of Vodi, right? We call it way back when in, in anatomy class. So great points that you just brought up there. And so for everybody listening, as Dr. Rob has a 7R protocol, most of the time it's 4 or 5R protocol you'll commonly see. So I'm glad you brought up that there are these other pieces of the puzzle, Dr. Rob, that are really important that you can add in to really help the patient out further. So thanks for bringing those up. And just touching on that previous question as it relates to that, say, die-off, can you talk about that a little bit again, just so that people understand, hey, if I'm experiencing these symptoms, this is what's going on. It's because of the bacteria. It's because of these toxins that I'm introducing into my body still. Yeah, so great point. In an epigrammatic fashion, you really said it well, that die-off toxins are going into your body. Your body's going to respond. You're going to feel it. I mean, we live in a toxic world. I mean, you can't be a clean fish in a dirty bowl. And the problem is we have to get rid of it, which it's very funny you mentioned that. So a lot of people, when I'm in that process of getting rid of all the toxins through the die-off, they complain bitterly. You know, I feel a little worse. And it's not what I want practitioners to respond to. The example I give to really highlight what you just said do you ever see anybody clean the pool? And they'll say, yeah, well, what happens when you clean the bottom of the pool? It gets dirty to the top before you can filter it all out. That's like what's going on with your die-off. Thank you so much for diving into that. I think it's really important. Love your analogies. No intended on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, fantastic. So we've talked about some really good topics today, Dr. Rob, and we've talked about some testing, but I want to lay them out on the table so everybody can really see from, say, from a linear perspective even, what would be the approach that you would take 
someone comes into your office and they are, you're suspecting or they know that you know that they have an autoimmune condition or what is the linear process of testing that would occur? You've talked about CBC, you've talked about some baseline testing leading into some of the possibly IgG testing, stool testing and more. Can you walk us through that maybe ideal or that sample scenario for a patient? Absolutely. And you covered a lot of them great in a great recouping of everything together. Great job. So number one is I always take a history because I'm looking to take, I want to see where they are. And I take a dietary history. I ask everybody to come and please give me a diet of at least three days, possibly up to five days, because you really want to see what's going on and write down how you feel after you eat something. So for instance, if they eat green beans and they said, yeah, that lit me up right away. Well, you know, we may be pointed towards that. In addition to that, testing. I like vitamin D and omega-3s. Before I get to omegas, do you know why? Every cell in your body has a vitamin D and an omega-3 receptor, low-hanging fruit. Then when we dig in, a qualified quality CBC. Again, to reiterate, the only definitive tests that everybody's going to use that are standard that you won't have to move around, ANA and SED rate. That said, let's dig in. I'm going to do a barrier test. I'm going to do an IgG test. I'm going to do that stool test you mentioned before. I'm going to do that food sensitivity test. I'm going to really look if I go for the barriers, I want to see for zonulin. I want to check a food allergy test. When I get all those five, six, seven pieces, I'm really able to ascertain autoimmunity. Now, let me give you a great example. That's CBC. You should be asking for interleukins. For instance, interleukin-6 is a very dynamic marker of inflammation, interleukin-8 and interleukin-1-beta. Those three, if I could turn it right into osteoarthritis, will show you a higher incidence of lower back damage. 100% agree. That's glad you broke that down for us in that fashion. So important for people to understand these different options and especially the different varieties and opportunities that we have in this day and age. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, we didn't even have a lot of these options to test for. So it's so helpful that we can really dive deep into that rabbit hole and and try to uncover as many markers and, and information as possible to really get to the root issues of autoimmune conditions. So thanks for going over that. Super helpful, I think, for everybody. So Dr. Rabbit, as far as the treatment goes, now we talked about testing. Let's go into treatment a little bit. You talked about some nutraceuticals, some of these really, really good options from a dietary aspect, from nutritional aspect, looking at patients, helping them from that. Are there anything else in terms of treatments, lifestyle approaches, and more that we need to address from a functional medicine standpoint? And also, when it comes to the conventional therapies, what do people really have? So we're kind of looking at the two different approaches here. Well, let's hit the conventional ones. As you know, we're both chiropractors. We try not to talk too much about the medicine. However, With the growth of autoimmune conditions, clearly we may not, with the drugs, be getting to that root cause and maybe more like a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, if you will. And I think, obviously, adhere to my 7R, that's a fix-it. Different lifestyle, let's get to exercise. Got to watch your environment. And your environment, your food's your environment. For me, food is a potentiator for inflammation. Food should be the potentiator for information. So let's change the foods. As I said before, 60% of calories come from ultra-processed food in a normal American's diet. The average American consumes 142 pounds of artificial sweeteners. We consume way too much vegetable oils. Real story, interesting. You know, I'm sitting with a couple of docs and, and my wife were in New York City. We're sitting outside. It's about a month and a half ago. 
And I'm really excited. It's organic. It's beautiful and everything. I actually had what my wife said the audacity was to ask the chef what kind of oil we, they use. And my wife, when she does this, it means, Rob, don't ask the question. But I did. And he told me and it was a vegetable oil. It was organic soybean oil. 85% of vegetable oil is a soybean oil. So as simple as just taking vegetable oils out and using extra virgin olive oil, avocado, coconut oil, things of that nature. So what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to string together is the idea of a good quality, wholesome food. Jack Lane, who was actually a chiropractor in 1936, once said, if man makes it, I won't eat it. And that is my credo for all my patients. So those are the foods, start exercising. There's some modalities that actually help joints now, like low-level laser. There's a tremendous amount of exercise. I mean, let's get moving. Let's get everybody moving to 150 minutes per week, if it's at all possible. People go, that's not possible. It is. Cut down on your TV. Get moving. So it's lifestyle, diet, mindset, adhering to good quality supplements. And you know what? Just understand that the gut is the epicenter of your health. Healthy gut, healthy life. Love it. Great Jack LaLanne reference. Old school, very famous guy. Good information there, Dr. Rob. And, and I totally agree. Movement is medicine. It's a part of our daily lives. We're not designed to sit all day long. A lot of these other aspects that uh, can be inter included in patients' therapy and treatment programs are so important, as you even mentioned, from a, even a palliative or even a root cause perspective, things like low-level laser therapy some of these other things that can help patients recover, help them feel better as a whole, in addition to testing for the root issues, giving them additional treatment options, so important. So what do you think the future of autoimmune treatment looks like? Do you think we have any growth in, in these other areas or do you think it's going to be similar to this or just expand on what we're having? I think the future, and I believe the future in healthcare, is that integrative approach will multi-practitioners sit down and put their proverbial heads together, egos aside, to treat the patient and to go for, as we said before, root cause resolution. Because otherwise, autoimmunity is just going to run uh, rampant. I mean, when you think about it, people didn't talk about autoimmunity 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And yet now you're seeing more and more young children walk in with autoimmunity. It's that environment. And it's actually getting to that oral tolerance that poses an issue. So I do believe in that integrative approach. And that's why I use testing. So there's no guessing. And that's why I put in that functional medicine model in my chiropractic armamentarium to enable myself to attenuate many of the symptomologies in a, over a myriad of different conditions. I love it. I completely agree. And it's, as you mentioned, tests don't guess. Neither of us have, I don't think, x-ray vision. I know I don't. And so we want to make sure that we're getting those raw objective data findings in really to help patients uncover the root issues. So Dr. Rob, you've been amazing today. I have one last question for you. If you could give one tip to someone listening that is, has been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition or they're suspecting that they've had an autoimmune condition or they're having symptoms related to this, what would it be? Most effective clinical outcomes across all disease spectrums, including autoimmunity, can result from the normalization of gut function. There we go. Can you break that down just a little bit further for our audience? I think that's healthy gut, healthy you. I agree. Yeah, healthy gut, healthy you. Please take away from the fact that the gut, 80% of your immune cells are in your gut. Your gut is your barrier between the outside and the inside world. If your gut is fully functioning, 
You're going to get all the nutrients you need. When the gut is too permeable, things will pass through it and your immune system will react. And the problem is when it overreacts, and that's ultimately what will happen in many instances, you're going to put yourself on a slippery slope towards autoimmunity. So once again, the word and word I would say, gut, or two words, healthy gut. Beautiful. Dr. Rob Silverman, thank you so much for coming on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast today. It was great chatting with you. For everybody listening, where can they find you? If they want to learn a little bit more about you, where can they find you? Absolutely. My website's drrobertsilverman.com and all my social media handles are drrobertsilverman. Follow me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram, follow me on LinkedIn. We're always posting. It's our communication with you. Let us know what you think. Ask a question. I'm there for you. Dr. Rob, thanks again. It was such a pleasure. My pleasure. Take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live, my friend. Agreed. The Root Cause Medicine Podcast is brought to you by Rupa Health. To find out more about us and how we are changing the lives of patients and practitioners across the U.S., head to rupahealth.com. And then make sure to search for Root Cause Medicine in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere good podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Rupa Health, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.